chapter 24 and I want to encourage you to keep your Bible ready and open today we're going to refer back to these verses many times and so I want to encourage you to have your Bible ready and uh, Joshua 24 is where we're going to be today and I wanted to make mention of uh, one announcement and that is that we are currently uh, on a small group break and uh, the next couple of weeks we're going to be on a break for our regularly uh, scheduled small groups but on July 13th, we're doing something very different. We've never done this before as a church. Uh, we're having something in the summer called Refuel Nights. And uh, starting on Thursday, July 13th, summer refuel. And we are bringing in four different guest speakers on Thursday nights to cover certain topics that will be beneficial for your spiritual growth. And uh, talking about marriage, talking about the war and the battle in your mind, uh, talking about how we can defend our faith. And I'm looking forward to uh, these nights to just grow together. And uh, they're gonna be brief nights. Everyone's gonna get a notebook and uh, truly Bible study nights. And so I wanna encourage you to be a part of the summer refuel nights starting on July 13th. It's gonna be a great time together. And uh, we'll hear more about that in the coming weeks as well. But if you're ready, to dive into God's word, would you say amen? Joshua chapter 24. We'll start reading verse number 14 with a passage that I believe is particularly relevant on this Father's Day and so needed in our society this morning. Joshua 24, verse number 14. The Bible says this. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. And of course, when the Bible says fear the Lord, it's not talking about being afraid of God, but having a reverential awe and honor for the Lord. Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he, uh, it is that brought us up out of, the, out of our fathers, out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went. And among all the people through uh, whom we passed. Verse 18. And all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Today, for a few minutes this morning, I'd like to speak to this subject from Joshua chapter 24. Choose wisely. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, choose wisely. Choose wisely. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this Father's Day and all of the dads and the fathers that are seeking to lead their homes in a way that would be pleasing to you. And God, for all those that are fatherless, and God, maybe for those that don't have a great father figure to look to, we're thankful, Lord, that we have a perfect heavenly father who will never leave us nor forsake us. And God, today, I pray that we would seek to emulate uh, the heart of our Heavenly Father. And Lord, I pray that as we look to this text that you would uh, speak to us in a powerful way. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to apply the truths that we learn from your word and uh, that we would uh, seek to make a decision and to be doers of the word today. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said this morning, 
Growing up, my family was a letter-writing family. Uh, I would often write notes to my mom and to my dad, and my dad would often write notes to us. And my dad, he doesn't throw anything away, and so he has this file where he's kept all the notes that I've written him over the years. And that is quite unfortunate for me because sometimes I'll look back on some of those notes. And the other day I was reading uh, a note that I wrote to my dad. I found this file, and I was looking through, and when I was in uh, lower elementary school, I did something and I said something that I shouldn't have, and so I wrote an apology note to my dad, and I found this letter, and I brought it for us this morning on the screen. It says this. It doesn't quite make sense, but it says this. Dear Dad, I did something that was very wrong and did not please you, Mom, and the Lord. I am sorry, and I will not do it again. I did not know at that time of what I was to say something else, but I remembered on accident what Larry said, and I said it. I will do whatever you want me to do. Clean the whole property. Not talking about our church property. I thought that was a great punishment, to clean the whole property. But please not a spanking. (laughs) And uh, I don't know what I said, but I know two things. Clearly, it was Larry's fault, my brother. And uh, and two, I greatly regretted that choice. I said I did something very wrong. I don't want a spanking. Uh, How many of you have ever made a decision or a choice that you regretted? Anybody like that? Uh, The reality is, is life is filled with decisions. And some of those decisions are seemingly small and inconsequential. Other decisions are very large and have uh, great ramifications. I was reading recently that Cornell University did a study that said that we make upwards of 200 decisions a day just about food where we're going to eat, how we're going to eat, what we're going to eat, what time we're going to eat, how much we're going to eat. And uh, life is filled with decisions. And uh, decision-making can be a strenuous process because even the smallest decisions can have major implications. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, there was a 64-year-old man in Kentucky, and he was very, very upset because his roommate in Kentucky ate his last Hot Pocket. And because he ate his last Hot Pocket, he chased him out of the house with a gun and shot him in the leg. True story. You can read about it. This actually happened. Now, now I like a good Hot Pocket just like the next person. But I think that we can all agree that that was probably not a wise decision. Can you agree with that this morning? That he just uh, ran out and he was upset about that. You know, the Bible says in James that if any of us lack wisdom, and if that man from Kentucky is any indication of human nature, we all need wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. I'm thankful today that the God that we worship is always faithful to provide the wisdom that we need to make choices and decisions that are honoring to him. And so if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Uh, Several times in scripture, we are confronted with the magnitude of making a wise choice. Uh, Elijah uh, confronted the people of God in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. It says this, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? Uh, that word halt is talking about uh, limping over, or jumping back and forth. How long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. And so Elijah said, You can't just straddle the fence. You have to make a decision. Uh, Even a a choice not to act uh, is in and of itself a decision. Pilate was confronted with the decision in the New Testament. In John chapter 19, verse number 12, it says this, And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, speaking of Jesus. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. And so for Pilate, the choice was clear. Would he choose Christ or would he choose Caesar? And I believe that today in our culture, we are confronted with a choice. Will we choose Christ or will we choose the culture? 
Will we choose to stand firm on God's word? Or will we bow to the society in which we are living? We come to Joshua chapter 24, and yet again, the people of God are confronted with a choice. Joshua comes to the people in verse number 15, and he says this, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, then choose you this day whom you will serve. He says, you need to make a choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. Now, Joshua was coming to the end of his life. In fact, most Bible commentators and writers say that at this point, Joshua was about 100 years old. He left Egypt when he was 19. He wandered around in the wilderness with Moses for 40 years, and now he's been leading military conquests in Canaan for another 40 years. And so he is about 100 years old, and he is uh, passing on his legacy. He's coming to the end of his life, but I find it fascinating that at the end of his life, Joshua is not primarily concerned with himself. Joshua, at the end of his life, is primarily concerned with the next generation. And I believe that this is a message for the fathers and the parents in the room today, that real spiritual maturity comes when you are not just concerned with yourself, but when you are concerned with the next generation. Joshua stands up before the people, and he is concerned with the next generation, and so he is going to speak to them as he is coming to the end of his life. Now, in verse number one, we see that uh, he gathers the people together. In fact, notice verse number one of Joshua chapter 24. It says this, and Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Now, if you recall, Shechem was a significant place for God's people. It was in Shechem that all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 that God spoke to Abraham and gave Abraham the covenant that he would bless and make a nation uh, from his people. And so Shechem was a significant place for the people of God. In fact, back in Joshua chapter number 8, uh, the people would stand in Shechem and they would read the blessings and the cursings from Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. If you fast forward to the New Testament, it was in this place, Shechem, in, in what the New Testament calls Sychar, that Jesus had a conversation with the woman at the well. And so really all throughout Scripture, Shechem was a significant place for God's people. And here in Joshua chapter 24, they gather together in Shechem. Joshua is 100 years old, and this is what he says. And called for the elders of Israel, this is verse number 1, and for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers, watch this phrase, and they presented themselves before God. Now, this is very important. The people did not come and present themselves to Joshua. They did not come and present themselves to the priests. They did not come and present themselves to the elders. They came and they presented themselves to the Lord. When we gather together as God's people, I just want to remind you that we are not gathering together for any one individual or any one person. We are gathering together to present ourselves to the one true living God, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so the people gather together and they say, we want to hear from the Lord. And so they gather together, they present themselves to the Lord. Now, as soon as we forget this reality, we're going to be in serious trouble. Because as soon as we start looking to um, horizontal means and methods for our instruction, we are in trouble. We need to make sure that we are constantly tuning in to the words of the Lord. And so that's exactly what the people do. Uh, they gather together, and they want to hear from the words of the Lord. And as they gather together, and as Joshua speaks on behalf of the Lord, I believe that in this text, what we see this morning is four ways that we can choose wisely in the day in which we are living. How many of you are interested in learning how to make wise choices for the Lord? I believe in this text, we see four ways that we can choose wisely. Number one, today, if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to jot these down. Number one is this. We have to review the faithfulness of God. Review the faithfulness of God. Notice verse number two. It says this, And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, 
even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And so here in verse, served other gods. Number two, God is reminding them where they came from. He is reminding them of how he called out to Abraham. And I think it's interesting at the end of verse number two that he says, Abraham, who served other gods. He's saying, even your father in the faith, Abraham, at one point was lost and dead in his sin. Can I remind you that all of us are sinners in need of a Savior? That the Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. And there would come a time when Abraham would believe God, and that faith was counted unto him. It was imputed unto him as righteousness. And so we're thankful that Abraham did express his faith in God. But here in verse number 2, it says that at one point they were serving idols. This speaks to the grace of God. That it wasn't because Abraham was so great and because Abraham was doing all the right works and all the right things. It was because God's grace showed up in his life and was made evident uh, for him. And so God is reminding them of his grace. But then in the next 10 verses, he is reminding his people of his faithfulness. Now, I'm going to go through these very quickly, but I want to encourage you. If you have a Bible today, can you hold it up so I can see it? All right, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. These verses that I'm about to read, they're not going to be on the screen. Uh, They're going to be right here in the verses, and I'm going to go through them very fast. So uh, buckle up as I read through these, and we're going to start in verse number three. If you're with me, would you say amen? amen? Watch what God does as he is communicating to his people. Verse three, and I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood. Verse four. And I gave unto Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. And I gave unto Esau, Mount Seir. Verse 5. And I sent Moses and also Aaron. And I plagued Egypt. Verse number 6. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt. Uh, Verse number 8. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites. And I gave them into your hand. Verse number 10. So I delivered you out of his hand, verse 12. And I sent the hornet before you, verse 13. And I gave you a land for which you did not labor. Uh, God was saying this. All of the blessings that you are now enjoying in the promised land, they are not because you are so great. They are because I am so faithful. Aren't you thankful today for the faithfulness of God? He said time and time and time again, I have been faithful. I have provided for you. And so don't for one second think that the blessings that you have in life are because you are so great. Every good gift and every perfect gift uh, come from the Father above. And so we ought to be thankful today for his faithfulness. He says, I have given you land for which you did not even labor, verse number 13. And so he is reminding them, I have provided for you. I have guided. I have delivered you from the enemy. And this is so important today to pause and to review God's faithfulness because we live in a culture where it's very easy to criticize, complain, and to condemn. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said, frequently the murmuring against man is only a covert way of murmuring against God. When we are complaining horizontally, what we're actually doing is complaining vertically and questioning the sovereignty of God. But when you stop and consider the faithfulness of God and how good he has been, you will quickly realize that we have so much to thank him for and so much to praise him for. The Bible says in Psalm 68, verse 19, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation, Selah, that that, that God has daily loaded us with benefits. And so God's faithfulness is so encouraging because if you look around in our culture today, uh, faithfulness is few and far between. Uh, faithfulness is something that in our lives is something that we don't like. We just leave. Someone was mean to me, I'll just leave. I didn't like how this happened at my work, and so I'm going to go look for a new job. I didn't like how uh, that person looked at me, and I'm offended, so I'm going to go find something else. And uh, if something bothers us, we just move on. That's why the average marriage lasts eight years. 
The average job is kept for four years, and the average church member stays for three years. See, see, we have become experts at avoidance and evasion. If something is not to my taste, then I'm just going to leave. Uh, this is why on Father's Day, we have to be reminded that according to the United States Census Bureau, that 25% of children in the United States grow up without a father. This makes the United States the world's leader in fatherlessness. But the Bible says this in Deuteronomy 7, verse number 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keeps his covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Can I just encourage you today when everyone else in life walks out on you that God the Father will never walk out on his children, that he is a faithful God, that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. I'm so thankful that we can review God's faithfulness and celebrate the goodness and the faithfulness of God. See, see the problem is this. Uh, While God is faithful, we are forgetful. And forgetfulness can be fatal. The, the Bible says in, in Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah was talking and reviewing uh, the history of Israel, and he was talking about how Israel forgot uh, the works of God. And he said this, and they refused to obey. This is Nehemiah 9.17. Neither, watch this phrase, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them. That they weren't mindful of the wonderful things that God was doing in their midst. I don't know about you, but I don't want that verse to be applied to Rock Hill Church. When people are being saved on a weekly basis, I'm so thankful last week I was gone with family and had a great time. Thank you for praying for our family. But I was so thankful to hear a report that last week five people prayed to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. I never want to get over that. I never want to be like the children of Israel in Nehemiah chapter 9 where they forgot. Uh, they were not mindful of the wonders that God was doing in their midst. And so often when things go awry in our lives and when things go sour, well, we are so quick to forget God's goodness and God's faithfulness. But here in verses 3 through 12, God is reminding them over and over and over again of his faithfulness. And so I want to encourage you today, number one, review the faithfulness of God. But here's the second thought. Are you ready for number two today? Number two is this, re-engage in the mission. Now, notice verse number 14. It says this. Now, therefore, serve the Lord and, and serve him with sincerity and in truth. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. And, and so I love what uh, Joshua uh, uh, says here. In light of everything that we just heard, therefore, in light of God's faithfulness that said, I provided for you, I guided for you, I, I, I provided time and time again, I delivered you, I delivered you. In light of God's faithfulness, the only logical response is our faithfulness. See, the consideration of God's faithfulness should be the catalyst for our faithfulness. Uh, because God has been so good and because God has been so loving and kind, that should produce within us a heart that says, man, I want to serve the Lord. I, I want to move forward and do what God wants me to do. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 23 puts it this way. Let us, everybody say us. Let us, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful, that promise. So, so let us hold fast to the profession of our faith. Why? Because he is faithful, that promise. And so his faithfulness should spur in us uh, our faithfulness. Uh, the Bible says in Romans 12:1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It just makes sense to serve God. When you consider how good God has been, the only logical response is to say, I want to give my life back to him. It's our reasonable service. And so it is the goodness of God, not the guilt of man, that should motivate our obedience to God. 
It's his goodness that's the motivation. Uh, you remember in James chapter 1, there's this passage about sin and temptation, and he says uh, he's going through uh, this list, this progression of sin, and, and he says, don't give in to temptation, don't take the bait, do not err, my beloved brethren. He says this in James chapter uh, 1, verses 13 through 16. He says, he says, when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. And then verse 17, it almost seems like there's a shift in the topic. In verse number 17 of James chapter 1, it's that verse that I said I mentioned ago. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it almost seems like that there's a new thought. There's a new transition. In fact, I preached this passage years ago, and I stopped at verse 16. Preached about sin and temptation. Let's stay away from that. And then chapter 17, it's a new thought. It's a new message. But I, I realize now that they are connected. Because the best way to resist temptation and to reject temptation and to reject what the world has to offer is to recognize what God has to offer. That every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And so it's easier to say no to uh, the world's temptations when you know how good God is. See, it's the goodness of God that motivates us for obedience. And so Joshua is saying, man, God has been so faithful that should spur within us a heart to re-engage in our mission. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Now, serving is a major component to this passage. In fact, I think 15 times the word serve or uh, a variation of that word is mentioned in this chapter. It's all about serving the Lord. Serve him. And in verse number 14, he says, serve him with sincerity. Sincerity. Look at it in verse number 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity. The word sincerity means wholeheartedly, completely, with integrity. Uh, Philippians 1 in the New Testament says this, Philippians 1 verse 10, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you would have discernment, not the ability just to choose between what's good and bad, but the ability to choose between what's good and best, that you can approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere. And without offense to the day of Christ, to be sincere. I, I love the etymology of that word sincere. It's a Latin word that comes from two words, sin, Sarah. Sin, Sarah. And, and what that means, and I mentioned this before at Rock Hill, you might recall, it means without wax. Sin, Sarah. Sin, without Sarah, wax. Without wax. And the reason for that is because in the Roman Empire, what they would do often is they would have merchants that would sell these little uh, marble idols made of uh, stone and marble. And if one of those little idols would chip and crack, what they would do to fix it is they would replace it with wax to hold it together. And so they would have this wax that would hold this little idol together. But what would happen is, is if that little idol would stay in the sun for too long, it would melt the wax and the idol would fall apart. And so if there was an honest merchant, he would sell those idols with a sign that would say, without wax. Uh, this one is not broken. Uh, this one is whole. There's, there's no cracks here. And here's the question for us when it comes to living a life of sincerity. When the sunlight of God's word shines on our lives, are we living lives without wax? Are we living lives of sincerity? Are we serving the Lord with the right heart, with the right motivation, in sincerity? And so he says, make sure that you are living uh, with authenticity. You're serving with sincerity. But then he also says, serve in sincerity. And what was the next component? In truth. Serve in sincerity and in truth. I don't know if you've noticed, but there is certainly a war on truth in our culture today. Whether it comes to marriage, whether it comes to doctrine, whether it comes to gender, there is certainly a war that is being waged on what is the truth. That's the question that Pilate asked Jesus. What is truth? Uh, uh, there, is this, there is this question mark today in our culture, in a post-truth society, on what the truth actually is. And we have to recognize on Father's Day that as fathers, as mothers, as parents, as leaders, as teachers, we've been called to transfer truth to the next generation. Now, that's a weighty responsibility. 
to transfer truth to the next generation, to teach the next generation what the gospel is, to teach the next generation who Jesus Christ is and the deity of Jesus Christ, uh, to teach the next generation about the authority of God's word. But we have to recognize that we have this weighty responsibility to serve the Lord with sincerity, but also in truth. Uh, Adrian Rogers said this, It is impossible to find anyone in the Bible who was a power for God, who did not have enemies and was not hated. It's better to stand alone with the truth than to be wrong with a multitude. It is better ultimately to succeed with the truth than to temporarily succeed with a lie. We have to recognize today that there is a war on truth in our culture today, and we are called as people of God, as the children of God, as followers of Jesus, to serve the Lord with sincerity and with truth. In fact, on this Father's Day, we have to be reminded, 3 John 1, 4, uh, the Bible says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And so when it comes to the truth, we are not looking for uh, consensus. We're not looking for comfort. We're not looking uh, horizontally. When it comes to the truth, we are looking to God's word. Uh, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so we recognize that the truth will ultimately set us free. And so uh, we have to remember God's faithfulness, and then we re-engage in the mission. We're going to serve with sincerity and with truth. And here's a third component today. Are you ready for number three? We reject the alternative. We have to recognize, okay, if we're not going to re-engage in the mission, what is the alternative to that? Uh, well, Joshua's going to tell us. Notice verse number 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away. Everybody say, put away. You've got to put away uh, the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And so Joshua says there are certain things that have to be put away. There are certain things that have to be removed in order to move forward in the calling that God has for you. Uh, I read this week that there was a 47-year-old man that needed surgery. Uh, They believed that he had a tumor uh, in his lung. He had this persistent cough that wouldn't go away. But upon further investigation and upon x-rays, they discovered that he had a tiny toy traffic cone that was lodged in his lung. I think we have a picture this morning. And on his seventh birthday, he had a toy set that included a little toy traffic cone, and he unintentionally inhaled that, and it was lodged in his lung for 40 years. And so when they discovered that little toy cone, they removed it, and all of his symptoms went away. And uh, he was just feeling so much better now that he had that little toy cone out of his lung. You know, that, that needed to be removed in order for those symptoms to go away. You know, sometimes we are struggling spiritually because there is something in our lives that needs to be removed, that needs to be put away. And Joshua says, okay, we're going to review God's faithfulness. We're going to re-engage in the mission. But now there's some things that have to be removed. Now there's some things that have to be put away. There's some alternatives to serving the Lord that you have to uh, reject. And uh, see, Joshua was concerned not that the people would outright reject God, the one true God, Yahweh. He was concerned that they would kind of blend in with the Canaanite culture around them, that they would worship Yahweh, but they would also have these other gods too. There was this synchronistic, uh, syncretistic temptation to kind of synchronize and bring all the other gods in. And this is the same battle that we're fighting today in our culture. Uh, in fact, in Joshua 23, this is the chapter right before. Everybody still with me? He's going to give this warning. He's going to talk about this progression. He says in Joshua 23, verse number 7, that you come not among these nations. Now watch. He's going to give a few different warnings about the gradual progression of this temptation. He says, uh, come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, uh, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them, but cleave unto the Lord your God as you have done unto this day. And so Joshua knew that this temptation would be gradual. He says, first, you'll kind of just associate with them. 
Be careful that you don't associate with. And then you're going to talk religious practices with them. You're going to make mention of their gods. And then eventually you're going to be bowing and serving and worshiping the false gods. This is the same progression in our culture today if you're paying attention. The culture around us typically begins with toleration. Just tolerate us. Just tolerate what's going on in the world today. And then it moves from toleration to celebration. Now we've got to celebrate all different kinds of lifestyles. So we move from toleration to celebration until the third progression is participation, where we are not satisfied until you are doing what we're doing. And this is exactly what Joshua is saying in Joshua 23 when he's saying, uh, ultimately, it's going to end with you worshiping their gods and serving their gods. And so he warns of this progression of sin. Notice verse number 15. He says this, and if it seem evil unto you to serve uh, the Lord, uh, then choose this day. Uh, whom you will serve. You have to make a decision. It comes down to a decision. All of us today have to make a choice. I've heard it said recently that when you're born, uh, you look like your parents. When you die, you look like your decisions. All of us are going to have to make decisions in life. We have to make a choice. Are we going to serve the Lord or are we going to embrace the alternatives? Now, Joshua is going to list what the alternatives are. In case you're wondering, notice that he's going to give the options. Verse 15, he says, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And so he lists these other options. Uh, Now, I'm going to uh, teach for a minute. Would that be okay? I'm going to list some of these gods, some of these other options, okay? Uh, One uh, god that the Israelites were uh, tempted to uh, uh, worship, uh, he mentions, are the gods on the other side of the flood. Uh, These were the gods of Abraham, the the gods before Abraham was justified by faith, the gods of astrology, the gods of mysticism. Uh, These would uh, be the gods of intellect. The second option were the gods of the Amorites. These were the gods of sexual deviation and pleasure and immorality. The third option were the gods of Egypt. These were the gods of prosperity, uh, the gods of power, the god of materialism. And I believe that we see all three options in our world today. The god of intellect, where I'm going to reject a life of faith and trusting in Jesus. The god of materialism, I just need more. I need to buy this and go there. And, and I'm constantly, perpetually dissatisfied with where I am in life. The god of intellect, the god of materialism, the god of pleasure. Hey, whatever feels good, do it. Uh, Follow your heart, this kind of hedonistic lifestyle. We see all three uh, gods at war with our worship today. And so these are the alternatives. Or you can worship the one true God, Yahweh, that loves you, that wants to have a relationship with you. Joshua says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Uh, Matthew 6, 24 in the New Testament, Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You have to make a choice. And so remember the faithfulness of God. Re-engage in the mission. Reject the alternative. And here's the fourth thought today. Number four is this. Resolve to be faithful. You have to make a decision. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to serve the Lord. Now, Joshua is going to demonstrate unwavering courage in this decision. And I want you to see two components to this decision as we close today. Uh, The first thing that we see about Joshua's decision is that it was an individual decision. Notice in verse 15. Are you with me this morning? Anybody else with me today? Notice the end of verse 15. The very last phrase. Joshua says, but as for me, as for me. This was an individual decision. 
See, before Joshua could lead out there, he had to lead in here. He says, as for me, I don't know what everybody else is going to do, but I know what God has called me to do. One Bible commentator, Walter Adney, he said this, it is weak to refuse to choose till we see how the world will choose. A lot of times we're going to look around, I'll see what everybody else is doing, I'll kind of see what the consensus is, I'll see what the majority is, I'll, I'll do that, and then I'll make my decision. But we have to decide, as for me, I know what God's called me to do. In fact, if you remember in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is that passage where Moses is instructing the parents and and how to train up the next generation. And he's telling them, hey, make sure that you teach your children the truth and remind them of all the things that God has done. He's talking to the parents of how to raise up the children. But before he gets to those instructions to get to the children, this is what he says in Deuteronomy 6 verse number 6. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. And so before you bind them on your wrist, before you post them on the walls, make sure that the truth of God's word is in your heart because you cannot lead in your home if you cannot lead in your heart. And so Joshua says, as for me, this was an individual decision. I'm not concerned with what everybody else is doing in the culture and the world today. As for me, individual decision. But then it was an influential decision because he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me, individual, my house, this was influential. We will serve the Lord. He was making an impact on his family. Now, there's certainly a war against the nuclear family in our culture today. We, we recognize this. And, and the devil knows this. That's why as the family goes, so does the society. Uh, did you know that uh, 93% of families will follow Jesus if the dad makes the decision first? When a father comes to Christ, 93% of the families will follow in that decision. As for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, uh, what are the people going to say in response to Joshua? He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How will they respond? I want you to see it in conclusion. Notice verse 16. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. We're not going to choose the alternatives. We're not going to go and worship these other gods. Verse 17. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage in which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went. And among all the people through whom we passed, uh, they said, we're going to serve the Lord. It just makes sense. We're not going to reject the one true God for these other gods. And then Joshua gives a response that's almost shocking upon first glance. Notice what Joshua says in verse 19. Are you with me? Joshua, verse 19, and Joshua said unto the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. (laughs) Do do, do you sense the shocking nature of that statement? Joshua says, serve the Lord. The people say, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, you can't serve the Lord. What is he saying? You, You cannot serve the Lord. In fact, let's keep reading. He says, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He's a jealous God, and he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Now, that statement needs to be taken in context, or else that will lead us to an erroneous conclusion, an erroneous uh, decision about the matter. Uh, He is saying that if you continue in your sin, unrepentant sin, uh, then then, then don't just think that I'm just going to continue in sin and let grace abound. Uh, God forbid that we that are dead to sin should live any longer therein. Uh, He says in verse number 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. And after that, he had done you good. So what is Joshua saying here? He's doing something very important. They're saying, Joshua says, serve the Lord. They say, we will. Joshua says, no, you can't. Joshua is testing their commitment. 
And he is making sure that they are not just saying that they're going to serve the Lord and then do whatever they want. Joshua recognizes that an easy expression of commitment will never produce long-term fruit. And so he is testing their commitment. In fact, uh, I love what uh, F.B. Meyer said. He said, so it becomes us to speak very reverently and leniently of our ability to obey. We are probably overestimating our powers. They said, we will serve the Lord. See, we cannot just lackadaisically, half-heartedly, one foot in, one foot out, follow Jesus. He's testing their commitment. Don't just say it and then not do it. See, what we've done in our culture tragically is we have cheapened the gospel by allowing people to buy in without having to sell out. Where it's an easy expression, an easy commitment to follow Jesus without counting the cost. Can I tell you that salvation costs you nothing, but discipleship costs you everything. There has to be unwavering commitment. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counts the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it. See, there ought to be some fathers, there ought to be some mothers, there ought to be some leaders and some followers of Jesus today that would say, I'm not just going to express commitment to following Jesus, but I'm going to exemplify commitment in following Jesus. I'm not just going to put one foot in. I'm not just going to be halfway in. I'm going to be all in when it comes to following Jesus. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, don't just say it if you're not serious about it. And so he says, there's got to be a real Commitment. Now notice how the people respond. Verse 21. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. They made their decision. They said, No, Joshua, we understand. We're not just saying it. We will serve the Lord. It's my prayer that there would be some families in our church and that our church would say the same. No, no, we will serve the Lord. Hey, when the storms of life come, we will serve the Lord. When the culture gets out of control, we will serve the Lord. When adversity and trials come, we will serve the Lord. This was their decision. Now, the greatest example of service that the world has ever seen is found in our true and better Joshua. His name is Jesus. The Bible says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Maybe the decision that you need to make today, the greatest choice that anyone could ever make is to choose to call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. To, to, to accept that free gift. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. He died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. And today you can put your faith in him and you can be saved. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.